fine-looking bunch you are, really. God, we just ask that you will speak right into our hearts and our lives today. We thank you for the timelessness of who you are, your trustworthiness, your faithfulness, your goodness from generation to generation. And I thank you, God, that we get to be recipients of your goodness. And we get to centre our lives on who you are. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' name. Um, I'm actually not going to do a typical sermon. Um, I don't know whether I actually have a typical sermon. I don't know. But um, usually you have, a, you know, perhaps two or three points. And, um, uh, but we're going to actually walk through a psalm today. So that's going to be the, the, the pattern. And, uh, but before we do that, it's Psalm 145, which is why Andy uh, mentioned Psalm 145 earlier. And uh, it's a psalm that really uh, speaks of the character, the nature uh, of who God is. Um, and I want us to come into alignment with that today. Uh, but before we do that, I want to just have a little bit of a, um, a chat about our world and where it's at at the moment and how that might be making us feel. Um, I, I, and if I say the word volatility... What was the word you used, Andy, a minute ago, uh, talking about the world? Oh, yeah, right. Erratic or turmoil, yeah, tumultuous. We live on a tumultuous globe. Um, So the word volatility, so the word volatility means a liability to change rapidly and unpredictably, especially for the worse. Volatility, liability to change rapidly and unexpectedly, especially for the worst. Now, there's a picture just going to come up, I think, on the screen. And uh, this is a picture of our wedding day here. Um, And this is in, oh, when was that? Uh, September 2019. Um, A lot of you will have been there. And uh, we had a great day. It was a fabulous day. Now, we were, um, there's my mum who's no longer around. And, you know, I wonder if you can find half of most of Glendale is there actually as well as family and all the rest of it there's Alan who we've just been praying for um, anyway so this is our wedding day this is just three years ago in a couple of weeks and I just thought about that picture and I thought about how the world has changed since we were standing in that room it was a lovely day we all had a great time we had a picnic we had a Big band, you know, all dancing outside. And then we had another band in the evening. Uh, We had a great time. Since then, we bought a house, you know, and we were in the process of ripping it apart and renovating it. And Pete was there helping us when suddenly, you know, Bojo gets on the telly and tells us, oh, we've got to stay home. And we were in lockdown and we're trying to sort all this out and trying to renovate a house with nobody able to help us. And we'd run out of money and it was all a bit crazy. Social life, church life, family life, work life changed for everyone. Like, just totally. Like that, everything shifts and changes. Totally unpredictably, everything changes. Massive uh, disruption, 
separation from loved ones, inability to see the people that we love the most and spend time together, people spending Christmas Day on their own. People in education massively missing out and learning from home on Zoom and not being able to take exams and the stress and the anxiety of that. Then we went into 2021 and I'm going to throw a few personal things in here, but this is more of a much broader than that. But, you know, 2021, I think, was probably, I'd say, the worst year of my life. Uh, began at the, towards the end of January, mum going into hospital and um, started a six-week process of gradual deterioration and gangrene and having to have a leg amputated and all of the madness of that and they you know she was completely on her own nobody was able to go in and visit her and uh, she gradually deteriorated until she died and on the 3rd of March we had later that year we had a miscarriage church life was hard it was hard because I mean we could do you remember it's only 2021 we couldn't sing we couldn't sing in church. I mean, how crazy is that? And, you know, we lost our morning venue and then we're trying to rebuild and thinking, okay, where do we go? What direction? We know that we have a calling to build and to develop something new in Thatcham and yet our main morning venue in Newbury, gone. What do we do? Or do, we, do are people going to come to Thatcham? Are they going to go to the evening? How does that work? What do, you know, it just felt like, it felt like hard work and it felt difficult to get people back on teams and stuff. And obviously I'm saying that because that's, part of my work life and it was just it was hard every element of life seemed to be really hard and really shifted massively and unpredictable and worsening in some ways then we got to this year and we think well you know finally we just feels like we're coming out of the worst of the madness you know, and then Russia invades Ukraine and we have massive disruption to, um, to supply chains and we have prices going wild and we have, uh, let's be honest, all of the components in place for World War Three. You know, our utility bill in, in March this year was £70 a month. Utility as in gas and electricity, not water, but gas and electricity, £70 a month. Uh, that, by the end of this month, is going to be £300 a month. It's just... It's madness. Made me think of the idiom, truth is stranger than fiction. If you'd have said to us when we were standing in that room having our wedding day and thinking about the future, what's the next two or three years going to look like? We would never have in our wildest imagination, and no crazy fiction author would have put together all of the things just that I've mentioned in the last couple of minutes, which doesn't even go part way to saying the extent of what has happened in our world in the last three years. We live in a volatile world which has a liability to change rapidly and unpredictably and let's be honest in some ways especially for the worse feels like oh my gosh what is going on here and the question is where do we turn in times like this do we bury our head in the sand do we go la 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 you know and pretend that everything's always as it was do we pretend that nothing's changed do we pretend that we're all fine we need to turn to the one who doesn't change 
We need to root ourselves deeply in the one who doesn't change and bring ourselves into alignment with who God is. That's our safe place right now. So here we go, Psalm 145. So Psalm 145 is um, it's an acrostic poem. Psalm, there, were, there are nine of those, I think, and this is one of those. It's David's last psalm. Uh, so, so then it's, uh, yeah. And it's a psalm of high praise, okay? So it's a great psalm for us to really look at. He, he, David is declaring the character, the nature, the goodness of God. Um, now, that's not in a place from someone who's got his head in the clouds. You know, David was um, very familiar with volatility. He was chased down by Saul. He was um, subject to tyranny. You know, he had disappointment. He'd experienced danger he'd experienced fear in his life he'd um he'd failed god on many occasions he'd experienced loss all of those things that we've talked about and that we experience in life david had walked through and experienced all of those things and yet he was able to proclaim this psalm and uh, so what we're going to do is just go through a few verses at a time um say a few things about that and then we'll progress. Does that sound okay for people? Are we all right? Good. Sorry, I just dumped a load of like terrible stuff on you all. <laughs> I should finish it now and say, you, you know, no, don't you joking. So that's the bad stuff. Right. I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Here David's opening up with an acknowledgement of the Lord's greatness. He says there, every day I will praise you. This psalm actually would have been read three times a day. But he's, he's, he's demonstrating an established pattern of choosing to praise God every day. Taking the time, and this is important we get our heads around this, taking the time to get God into focus and bring things into perspective when God is in focus when he is the center of our attention when he is the one that we are worshiping and giving our time to and our attention to all the rest falls into its proper perspective it's about bringing our lives and our reality into alignment with God's reality you see He's bigger than whatever we're facing. He's stable. He's not at all volatile. He's not at all erratic. He's not unpredictable. He doesn't change rapidly. And as we bring our lives, our attention, and our declaration of his greatness before him continually, that shifts the way that we think and it shifts our perspective 
of the world, bringing our worship directly, personally, bringing our surrender to him and doing it on a daily basis. Spurgeon says this, to bless God is to praise him with a personal affection for him and wishing well to him. And listen to this. This is a growingly easy exercise as we advance in experience and grow in grace. The more we worship him, the more we have our eyes fixed on him, the more in tune we are with his greatness, the more aware we are of his greatness, the more aware we are of his presence, the easier it is to worship him. Because the less we get caught up in the fear and the anxiety and the worry and the chaos of life, we are centred and focused on his greatness and his goodness. Having a pattern of praising God every day, taking the time to get God into focus, to bring things into perspective. The next few verses. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. You see, something about God is that he's not just filled with splendour. He would be just as filled with splendour and glorious if he just sat on his throne in heaven, surrounded by the angels, worshipping him, and had a lovely time. But he does miracles and he acts among and on behalf of his people. We know that about the cross, don't we? We don't have a God who sits there aloof with his arms folded, looking down and going, tut, 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 what a bunch of losers. We have a God who was willing to roll up his sleeves, step down into the reality of the human condition and bring us near to him, reconcile us to himself. We have a God who does miracles and who acts among and on behalf of his people. The old recount what he did in the past. The young declare the fresh and new things he's doing. But I say that. That was a, a phrase that was in a commentary I'd read. But actually, you know, I am surrounded in this morning congregation with people generally who are of an older generation. And it is not, it don't think for a moment that God cannot do new and fresh and exciting and powerful and mind-boggling things through your life. God active among his people, his glorious splendor, who he is, his wondrous works demonstrated what he has done 
our worship of him in that context involves emotion, our excitement about what we have heard and what we have seen, but also our careful thought, really thinking through who God is and what he has done. There is evidence of what God has done. Do you know, actually, when I, I, we were at Bible college and there was a lot of miracles happening in, the, in that church at that time, and um, there was a guy, my friend John, he was employed, we called him John the Miracle Man. He was a volunteer at the church. Like I think they'd uh, get a small bit of pocket money, but he was interning at the church. But his role was working full-time to verify miracles so if somebody had testified god has done a miracle in my body god has done something in me uh, we'd be like that's great and you can share it in this particular context but if anything was to be put onto the website or to go into a magazine or to go into a news article it had to be verified so we got john would be responsible for getting permission from that person to follow up six weeks later to get involvement with medical records to, to speak to a gp to find out exactly what had happened and to know for certain before anything was ever published we need to know for certain is this miracle verifiable and have we got absolute indisputable evidence that this miracle has taken place. Now, I just remember sitting and chatting with John this one day, because, you know, you, you, you experience... I, and I, I felt bad about it, really, because I know what God can do. I've seen what God can do. But I was totally blown away, because I was thinking, well, you know what, there'll be loads of people, you know, you feel a bit better in a conference setting, and, you know, your headache's gone. You know, oh, whoopee-doo, that's great, that's lovely. Um, but I tell you what, he could document hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of mind-blowing miracles that could not have happened any other way than by God stepping in and doing something that only he can do. It was incredible. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Each generation shall contribute its chapter to God's great story and that includes you and me it includes what we're doing here in Thatcham it includes Glendale Newbury around Wash Common and what we're going to see through our lives what we're going to see in our family life what we see in our life groups what we'll see in the work that we do in communities the stuff that we do in our work life we will see God's mighty acts Because if God has done his mighty acts in every generation that has ever existed, then he will do them in our generation. He will. And we need to step up into expectation of what God can and wants to do among us. God is active among his people in all generations. The next bit, verses 8 to 15. This is about God being merciful and compassionate. It says, the Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. 
They'll speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads the lord the eyes of the lord look sorry the, the eyes of all look to you in hope you give them their food as they need it he's awesome and powerful and miraculous high and exalted is the one that isaiah saw and he fell down his feet as though dead. But he is also merciful and loving and kind. It says he's slow to get angry, which means that he has got patience even for you and for me. There's a bit there talking about his common grace. The fact that his compassion and his love and his generosity spills out everywhere for all creation. All creation, everything that exists, is in existence because of his goodness, because of his provision, because of his sustaining hand. You just read Colossians 1, that bit about how he holds everything together. Nothing exists that he did not create. His common grace, his goodness, his compassion means that the world spins. It means that everything is held together in his love. He is good and merciful and compassionate and loving and kind. And then in verses 14 to 17, this is about God being kind to those in need. He says, the Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope and you give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He's filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. See, God's compassionate is common. It's everywhere. It spills out across all of creation. But it's especially evident to those who look to him in humility. Those who have fallen, those who fail, those who mess up, those who are weak, those who are vulnerable but who come to him in humility, his kindness and his compassion is especially evident there. See, some people don't have what they need to pull themselves together. Now, I say that with a wider context that none of us can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. None of us can be righteous. None of us can make it on our own and without God's miraculous power in our lives but some people are especially vulnerable some people need God's grace and God's goodness because they can't see 
the way forward because they can't get themselves moving, because they can't pull themselves out of anxiety or depression or debt or fear or helplessness. And God has a calling on our lives to reach those people, to see his kindness, his compassion, his goodness extend to them. God lifts us up as we look to him. And God, in this passage, is really clear. He will provide our needs. It's not presumption. It's entirely biblical for the humble to put their expectation on God, looking to him for their needs. I say that because, you know, we look to this winter, look to January. uh, Everyone's been talking about the energy price cap, haven't they? It is totally biblical for us to put our expectation upon God to help us and to meet our needs. We can trust him. I say it's not presumptuous because that doesn't mean to say, well, that's fine then, go out and max out your credit card because God's going to pay the bill. But we can trust God in humility to put ourselves before him and expect that he will meet our needs. It says he provides for all living things. So he can provide for you and he can provide for me. The next few verses, God is loving and righteous. The the Lord is righteous in everything he does. He's filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears the cries for help and rescues them. The Lord protects those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. I will praise the Lord and may everyone on earth bless his holy name forever. I want us to think about something about the character of God that's just a bit mind-boggling. God is loving and righteous. Now, say in a slightly different way, he is just and is the justifier. Let's just take a minute to think about that. He is totally pure, completely holy, absolutely righteous. We are impure, unholy, unrighteous. So we, the two don't meet, do they? You know, pure, holy, righteous, impure, unholy, unrighteous. But God in his purity and his holiness actually makes us pure. He actually makes us holy. He makes us righteous. Something in Romans chapter 3. Verses 25 to 26. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God 
when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So God's perfection might mean that he would have nothing to do with what is impure, unholy, and unrighteous. But he behaves exactly the opposite. His righteousness, his purity, his holiness, through what Christ has done, brings us up to where he is. And that is incredible. It says that the Lord will destroy the wicked, which are those who are unwilling to humble themselves and surrender to his love and kindness in what Jesus has done, but he will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. He finishes off by saying, my mouth will bless his holy name forever and ever. I want us to just come into a time of worship But as we started off by thinking about the volatility of our world, the stuff that might cause us to be afraid or worried about the future, perhaps still in a little bit of post-traumatic stress from what we've been through over the last few years, let's come into alignment with the reality of his greatness. Let's tell of his incredible acts among us. I really think it's important, you know, when you've seen God act in your life, when you've seen God's sustaining hand, where you've been a recipient of his grace, where you've been a recipient of a miracle. Talk about it. Tell someone about it. The declaration of God's goodness is part of our worship. And it not only exalts God, it not only honours him, it inspires and encourages those around us with who God is and that he is active and moving among us as his people. Let's receive his mercy and compassion. If you're feeling rubbish about yourself, if you're feeling like you have run out of God's mercy or you're feeling like God must be getting really wound up and impatient with you, I want you to surrender to his mercy and compassion today. God's love and mercy and compassion is available for you. He is not impatient with you. He is not angry with you. He wants relationship with you to be restored. Let's expect his kindness and provision. I want us to ground ourselves in that 
as we enter into this next season with all of the stuff that may happen economically in our nation, I want us to ground ourselves in that. Let us expect to experience his kindness and provision. And let's allow him to make us holy. I, 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 I don't feel I articulated very well the mind-blowing reality that the just one is the justifier. What an amazing God we worship. What's around us might be volatile, but we can find peace and grounding and hope in the midst of it all. Let's stand together. I want to thank you, Lord, that you are great, that you do incredible acts among your people. I thank you that you're merciful and compassionate. I thank you that you are kind and that you're our provider. And I thank you that you are the one who makes us holy. that the work is done through the cross and we look to you, Jesus, and we receive your kindness, your mercy, your forgiveness and your righteousness today. And help us, Lord, in this moment to ground ourselves in who you are and throw ourselves upon you and worship you wholeheartedly to develop a pattern of praising you and worshipping you and giving you our focus and our attention. Not ignoring what is around us, not burying our head in the sand, but putting you at centre focus because you are trustworthy, you are good, and we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.